Today is February 15th, 2021. Trump is acquitted by the Senate. Andrew Cuomo is accused of trying to hide the true numbers behind COVID. And Biden's team starts taking steps to formulate their gun control policies. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here today, bright and early on this Monday morning, bringing you all the best news and insights from the left, all the best news and insights from the right, and of course, finding that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. And it is because of all that, all that hard work, that tireless energy and effort that we're putting in over the weekend, that this is the best podcast that we've done so far, truly. I mean, without a doubt. So, with all of that having been said, let's go ahead. And without further ado, hop on into our first story of the day, story number one. So, for our first story of the day, the biggest story coming out of this past weekend, Trump is acquitted in the Senate. They voted not to impeach Donald Trump, mainly upon party lines. The vote... Uh, was held on Saturday, and it looks like it ended up being shot down in the Senate, voting 47 or 57 for impeachment and 43 against it. So they were not able to get the 67 vote threshold needed to actually impeach Donald Trump. And like I said, primarily along party lines with seven Republicans actually voting to impeach him. This was not really a surprise, to say the least. I think that over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this a lot. And I said before the vote was even taken that I would be very, very surprised if the Republicans, uh, 17 of them, actually decided to vote to impeach Donald Trump. And they didn't, right? Uh, they were not able to get the votes that they needed in order to impeach him. And of course, you know, a lot of Democrats are looking at this and saying this is just a classic example of people playing partisan politics, right? Uh, and we'll get into you know some of the some of the bigger pieces of the biggest storylines around it. But it is very very clear that the Republicans have decided to side with Trump. Okay, for better or for worse. I personally think it will be for worse, and I will talk about why that is. I've outlined, I think, a lot over the past couple months about how I think that Donald Trump really has been a cancer to the Republican Party, but I think that now we're going to really start seeing why and how all this kind of starts to, starts to play out. So, um, at the end of the day, a lot of these Republicans refused to be able to refuse to go against Donald Trump very simply because they were worried that it would hurt their chances in the polls going into 2022 and 2024. Right. Plain and simple. A lot of people realize a lot of senators realize and Republicans in the House representatives as well that. If they go against Trump, they're going to be losing a huge portion of their voting electorate because there are a lot of people that still vote for Trump and still want Trump wholeheartedly, right? Before his vote or around his vote, uh, kind of outlining why he was voting the way that he was, and in a lot of ways, uh, handing out a pretty strong condemnation of Donald Trump, even though Mitch McConnell actually voted to not impeach him. So let's hop in real quick. Uh, this is a quick highlight of Mitch McConnell speaking on the Senate floor over the weekend. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions 
of their president. But in this case, the question is moot because former President Trump, Trump is constitutionally not eligible for conviction. I believe the best constitutional reading shows that Article 2, Section 4 exhausts the set of persons who can legitimately be impeached, tried, or convicted. It's the president, it's the vice president, and civil officers. All right, so that's Mitch McConnell talking right there. I'm sure many of you are seeing a lot of the absolutely blaring hypocrisy in what is happening. So McConnell condemns Trump. He says that he is practically and morally responsible for what happened on January 6th, the day of the Capitol riots. He basically places the blame on Donald Trump for what happened and what went down on Capitol Hill that day but said that the Senate did not have the authority to impeach him, okay? So what that means is right before Donald Trump left for office, Mitch McConnell decided not to bring the Senate back into session in order to be able to have his trial while Donald Trump was there and while he was the sitting president to be able to impeach him then, okay? He said that we needed to push it back. After he pushed it back, he then comes forward and says that he can't impeach Donald Trump because Donald Trump is not a sitting president. Incredibly hypocritical, right? This is just your standard run-of-the-mill Mitch McConnell playing politics, okay? And it's pretty disgusting, okay? So basically what he's trying to do is he's trying to remove the responsibility of holding Trump responsible off of himself and on and the you know the other representatives in the Senate and push it off onto somebody else okay maybe the DOJ right he's kind of he kind of implied that Donald Trump uh, if some if he actually did do something that's extremely wrong the DOJ needs to actually look into it but he knows full and well that Trump would never be legally culpable or held liable for incitement of violence in any type of criminal trial because the threshold for being held legally culpable of a federal crime is significantly higher than it is for just being impeached. Like I've said before, you can be impeached for something without being held legally culpable for a crime, okay? So McConnell, instead of actually using the power of the Senate to hold Trump accountable, he's trying to position himself as being for holding him accountable, right? So against Trump without actually having to hold him accountable, okay? It's very, very simple why. McConnell doesn't want to be tied to Trump because he realizes that Trump is poisoning the entirety of the Republican Party. He realizes that he wants to be the one that's in control of the Republican Party. What he also realizes, though, is that he doesn't want to be held accountable to Trump voters who would then view him as somebody that voted to impeach the person that they hold in such high regard, right? So he wants to coddle the Trump supporters by voting not to impeach Donald Trump, but he wants to do it on a completely poor reading of the Constitution and the ability of when you can actually impeach a president, okay? Seriously, unbelievable stuff. The interesting thing is we all we also now have a couple of other Republicans flip-flopping back and forth and trying to figure out wherever the wind is blowing so that way they can go that way. So Lindsey Graham comes out and talks to Fox News, okay? And he says that McConnell hurt the chance of Republicans in 2022 and 2024 with his speech, okay? Graham, who is 
now apparently back on the Trump bandwagon, okay? Past couple of weeks, he came off of the Trump bandwagon because it looked like that ship was really, really going down fast. He didn't want to be involved in the whole Trump thing anymore. He had to go back to 2015 Lindsey Graham where he hated Donald Trump and everything that he stood for. But now he's like, wait a second. These Republicans aren't voting to impeach him. So that means that the Republican Party is still following, falling in line with Trump. So that means I have to fall in line with Trump because I want to be able to maintain my power. Unbelievable. So uh, Lindsey Graham comes in and basically starts saying that McConnell hurt Republicans when he stood up and said this. Pretty much all, all it takes is for a slight breeze to shift and Lindsey Graham is going that way, right? He is a total sheet of paper. He's just blowing wherever the political winds decide to take him. So he said, quote, I think Senator McConnell's speech, uh, he got a load off of his chest, obviously. But unfortunately, he put a load on the back of Republicans. That speech you will see in 2022 campaign. So in other words, McConnell should have never said all of those things. He should have just voted not to impeach Donald Trump and kept his mouth shut because now Democrats are going to use that as fodder against the Republicans in 2022 and 2024. He's absolutely right. They will use that. And they absolutely should use that because the amount of blaring hypocrisy that it takes for you as Mitch McConnell to not allow the vote to hit the Senate floor when Donald Trump is president, wait until after the new Senate, the new Senate session comes in and then say that you can't vote to impeach him because he's not in office unbelievable, especially as he is sitting there and spouting off this nonsense and stuff that he believes that Donald Trump is actually responsible for the riots and stuff that happened on Capitol Hill. It really is just, it's unbelievable. You're also seeing that one or two of the Republicans that voted to impeach Donald Trump have already been censured by their own state GOPs, okay? And to be clear here, these Republicans are not being censured because they, because of a dereliction of duty, because of irresp morally irresponsible behavior. They are being censured by their state GOPs literally for deciding to go against Trump. That is it, okay? Agreeing that Trump was responsible for causing the mayhem in the Capitol riots, which was very, very clearly outlined by the House Democrats through the impeachment trial, through a plethora of evidence that was presented before the Senate, it was very, very clear that Donald Trump had a large part to play in what went down on January 6th, okay? It is not beyond our imagination to say that Donald Trump was responsible. And that is why you're seeing a lot of these Republicans coming out and saying, well, I, I, I couldn't, you know, I may think that Donald Trump is responsible, but I can't vote to impeach him because that would go against what I, you know, read the Constitution as saying as who can be impeached. What this means is that it sets a precedent going forward. If there is a president that does something absolutely horrendous going forward, all they have to do is resign. And if they resign, there will be precedent now saying that they can't be impeached. Absolutely unbelievable. Okay, now that doesn't mean that the Senate can't try to impeach the person again after they've left office, but... Republicans will be able to cite this time as there were plenty of Republicans that thought that uh, you couldn't impeach a president after they've already been after they've already left office. So as a result, we can't vote to impeach right now. I guarantee you that if Joe Biden gets into office or if Kamala Harris assumes a presidency or whatever and they do something that is egregious, something that's absolutely terrible and then immediately resign from office. 
you know the Republicans are going to try to impeach him. Of course they would. Absolutely. All right. Let alone inciting a riot to take over the Capitol building where the senators and the House of Representatives were sitting. It really, the amount of blaring hypocrisy here is truly frightening. It really is. If Mitch McConnell legitimately thinks that Donald Trump is responsible, he should hold him responsible. It is up to Mitch McConnell to rally those troops there on Capitol Hill and make sure that the senators that were present should have voted for impeaching Donald Trump, okay? I think that they have messed up royally right now. Like, I cannot say any more emphatically clear the fact that the Republicans are allowing Trump to continue to stay within power and in control of the Republican Party is going to be an incredible detriment to them in the next two elections. Incredibly detrimental to them. So, they're in some dangerous waters. They're treading in some waters that are completely unknown, okay? They have decided to go on board with Donald Trump. They've decided to sell out wholeheartedly to him. And Donald Trump has no problem with burning any and every one of them if he has to, okay? And Don, I mean, I can't tell the future, right? I'm not a prophet over here. But what I think, I think it is incredibly safe to say the Republicans are going to do very poorly in these next two elections as a result of a lot of the stuff that is happening right now. And it's unfortunate because I think you're going to see the Democrats start to take a, a lot more control. It is. And there's going to be a lot more lopsided politics coming down the aisle very, 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 coming down the pike very soon. So with all of that having been said, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's hop on into our second story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, Andrew Cuomo and COVID numbers. So Bottom line, Andrew Cuomo appears to be in some deep trouble. If you don't know who that is, he is the governor of New York. Um, a lot of it, uh, he has been incredibly popularized, has gotten a lot of media attention over the last year because of how he has handled COVID-19. He's a far, far left-leaning Democrat. The media loves to prop up and loves to talk about how great all the Democrats are, especially the ones that are in high-level positions, like being a governor of one of the largest states in the union. And it looks like Andrew Cuomo has done messed up real bad. So all of this centers around numbers that were held back around COVID deaths in nursing homes over the course of 2020. So early on in the pandemic, last year on March 25th, Andrew Cuomo signed a directive that kept nursing homes from not allowing seniors that had COVID from coming into their nursing homes. Basically, it forced the nursing homes to allow people that had COVID, people that had COVID into their nursing homes. Okay. Maybe they had already, you know, they had gone to the hospital and they needed to come back. Maybe they had tested positive, whatever it was. Um, the nursing homes were not allowed to reject people from coming into their homes. Okay. Because of this, like many of you would probably guess, the nursing home COVID deaths were through the roof, started to go up very, very, very quickly, okay? All of this, of course, caused Trump to tweet out that they were doing very, very poorly in New York with controlling COVID in nursing homes. He then tweeted that he was going to direct the Department of Justice to investigate how they were handling COVID in nursing homes in New York and make sure that everything is being done properly or if there's stuff that needs to be changed, Cuomo obviously doesn't want to be invested, investigated. He doesn't want his office to be under any type of d d uh, scrutiny from the Department of Justice. So he directed his office and state workers to not release the numbers or accurate numbers around the death tolls in nursing homes. 
not good stuff. So let's hop in real quick and take a look. This is um, a local news channel up in New York uh, reporting on this now. This morning, new allegations of a Cuomo administration cover-up surrounding the handling of nursing home residents infected with COVID and dying during the height of the pandemic. Top aide to the governor, Melissa DeRosa, telling state lawmakers in a recorded call obtained by the New York Post, they purposely hid information to avoid a federal investigation into the matter. Reportedly saying, quote, we froze out of fear the deaths would be, quote, used against us. I believe everybody did the best they could. Last month, the governor came under fire for a bombshell report released by the state attorney general, estimating the deaths of nursing home residents was 50% higher than reported. All right, so there you go. So Melissa DeRosa, Cuomo's top aide, came out in a call that they had last Friday um, and said that basically they fudged the numbers, okay? Shedding a lot of light on a pretty large cover-up that the New York governor's office did and used in order to keep the number of the nursing home deaths under wraps because they obviously didn't look very good and they were going to make Andrew Cuomo look very bad. So this is the same Andrew Cuomo that last year received an Emmy, okay? He received an Emmy for how well, quote-unquote, he had handled communication about the coronavirus pandemic. It was for, quote, his leadership during COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic and his masterful use of TV to inform and calm people around the world. He literally got an award from an acting guild for his use of the television and his communication about the pandemic, while at the same time covering up how poorly the state was actually handling the virus. That is United States politics at its finest right there. So uh, this state, New York, is obviously absolutely dominated by Democrats from the very, very top of the food chain all the way down to the bottom, okay? And we will now have to look to those Democrats to hold Andrew Cuomo accountable for his decision, an absolutely terrible decision, to force nursing homes to allow COVID-19 patients into the nursing homes, okay? And we all know what happens when you ask one party to hold people accountable that are within their own party. We can maybe think of one other instance, maybe, I don't know, like within this past week, where a party failed to hold someone accountable that was within their party due to things that they had done that were definitely not good, so now it falls on the heads of Democratic Party leadership to actually purge the bad from their midst. And if anything, we know that it'll probably just lead to further cover-ups and further bad acting. So the thing that blows my mind more than anything is that at the end of the day, Andrew Cuomo actually was being a really, really good actor, right? Like he was acting was spot on through the entirety of that coronavirus pandemic. He was actually lying about the number of nursing home deaths that were coming out with the numbers that he was producing. He was That's pretty good acting. Honestly, I can't argue against him winning an Emmy, right? If you have if you got some really great acting on TV, I guess you deserve an Emmy. However, this now leaves a whole bunch of people in a horrible situation of having people that were family members that were in nursing homes that died as a result of contracting COVID that more than likely could have been prevented if the proper measures were in place. Either that or maybe Andrew Cuomo could have just reversed the decision that he made. 
And now you have all these families that are looking around and they're like, what are we like? We have no answers. We don't know what to turn to. Like, what can we can we at least figure out why the decision was made? Can we at least figure out like what what can be done going going forward? Right? Like, maybe you have two parents in nursing homes right now. Maybe you're in New York and you have parents in nursing homes that haven't contracted COVID, but you're probably scared, right? You're probably really really freaked out by all this. All of it of course, was done to keep Andrew Cuomo and his governor's office out of trouble. And so all of this breaks, this huge bombshell news story comes out. Andrew Cuomo's fudging these numbers by like 50%, which is a dramatic difference in the number of deaths, right? And Andrew Cuomo is sitting in front of a TV telling the entire country that what he's doing and making sure that New York is safe is the way to go, right? I mean, we have seen media coverage of this all year long, exclaiming Andrew Cuomo and the way that he has conducted himself and the way that he's communicated with the public and the decisions that he's made as being the golden standard for how the entirety of the country should have reacted to and handled the coronavirus pandemic. Over and over and over again, you could have watched CNN, MSNBC, all of these different more left-leaning media outlets praising Andrew Cuomo for the incredible job that he has done in facing the coronavirus pandemic. The entire time this man was lying about the numbers that he was putting out. Absolutely unbelievable. So my question is, what are, like, what can, what are they going to do? What can be done? He, has to, he needs to be impeached or to be censured. He needs to be removed by, from his position. He needs to be called on to resign. Something has to happen in order to be able to hold him accountable. Unfortunately, do I think that that will happen? No, but absolutely egregious stuff going on there by um, Andrew Cuomo, who is really just the brightest star among us. So anyways, with all of that, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop on into our third story and our last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, Biden's team starts to put together a little bit of the you know, early workings on what their gun policy is going to be. So domestic policy advisor Susan Rice and White House Public Engagement Director Cedric Richmond met virtually with gun control groups and lobbyists on Wednesday. So throughout uh, his candidacy, Biden, uh, Biden strictly stated many times that he was not interested in any type of gun regulation that would try to take guns away from people. He actually, if we remember back, I think it was in 2019, maybe it was in 2020, <laughs> He got into a pretty heated argument um, about the Second Amendment while he was visiting an auto plant in Michigan. Basically, somebody confronted him about it, and you know Biden was like, come on, man, I'm not going to take away your guns. Come on, man. And he was real upset and heated about it. So uh, during while he was running, okay, and trying to get the nomination and then eventually sealing the nomination and then pushing to win the presidency, Biden you know, kind of laid out a couple of things that he would suggest that you know, a couple things that he would want to do, right? One of them is banning assault weapons. One of them is increased background check legislation. And another one is to provide more resources to enforce the current laws, okay? So a lot of this is coming out around and since the 2018 shooting at Stoneman Douglas um, High School. Uh, that left 17 people dead, 17 more injured. Uh, more people since then have wanted to see an, a regulation increase and in, you know, who can get the gun, the ease of access to guns, the availability of them, uh, being, wanting to ban a lot of like gun shows and stuff like that. And of course, banning assault weapons. That's, that's the big thing. You got to ban assault weapons, which 
a lot of people that say they want to ban assault weapons have no idea what an assault weapon is. So uh, the left wants this bad, okay? The left has been pushing for and wanting to uh, make progress on uh, restricting guns in a lot of different ways and placing heavier regulation on guns for a long time now. This has been a really, really tricky subject for the left for a while, but many of them agree that they want more regulation around guns. The right, on the other hand, wants the opposite of that and wants it fiercely, okay? So many on the right view any steps towards regulation of guns as the first step down a slippery slope of getting the Second Amendment pulled back, okay? Their argument here is to regulate guns is to impede on the fundamental right for Americans to own and purchase firearms that is laid out very, very early on in the Constitution. So within this, it's kind of broken out into two camps on the conservative side, okay? The first camp argues that the Second Amendment should be read from a strictly originalist perspective, okay? What this means that at the time that the Second Amendment was written, okay, they didn't make any clauses around the types of guns that people could own. So people were able to own the exact same guns that the military could. So now we should also be able to own any guns that we want, okay? So there are actually a portion of the people on the right that believe that everyday citizens should be able to hold, carry, use any type of automatic weapons or anything that the military would have access to if they had the money to purchase it, okay? There's another portion of the right side of the aisle that argues that there can and should be a small amount of regulation about what an everyday citizen should be able to purchase because you don't want just anyone to be able to go and buy stuff like rocket launchers or, you know, fully automatic M4s like the military would carry, okay, because they don't want people to have access to it that would be bad actors because of the immense damage that they could do. The, you know, this portion of the right doesn't necessarily have a problem with background checks or some of the current legislation that we have in place now, but they don't want that regulation to increase because they don't want for it to get more and more stringent around who can actually carry a firearm and how difficult it is for you to be able to purchase one, okay? A lot of this also comes down to states' rights issues as well. So different states are going to have different regulations and different rules around where you can purchase a firearm, who you can purchase a firearm for, uh, what your background check is going to look like. Um, but at a federal level, there are certain things that they can do to be able to place a heavier amount of regulation around the whole gun control debate. Okay. At the end of the day, though, the right. this is an issue that the right is totally on board with altogether, right? And it's actually interesting, uh, as you guys may know, I'm rolling out another guest episode, and that's coming out tomorrow, which you guys should all be super stoked about. But uh, one of the things that a guest said was that the right has done a very, very good job of uniting around a couple of things that are central to every single person on the right side of the aisle. One of those is abortion, and one of the other ones is gun rights, Okay. If you talk to a Republican, someone that votes Republican, almost every single one of them is going to tell you that they are pro-gun rights. And what that means is they are pro not having any type of regulation on guns at all because they want to be able, or not having an increase of regulation, maybe is a better way to put that, because they want to be able to keep that right laid out in the Second Amendment as much the way that it was when it was written as possible. Okay? So... 
at this point, I feel like it is important to say there are legitimate concerns on both sides of the aisle for this. Okay. There's obviously a problem with schools that are getting shot up. That's a huge issue. We have seen a rise in mass shootings over the past 50 years that it doesn't, over the past couple of years, it looks like it's maybe trying to hopefully kind of taper off a little bit, but we've seen an increase in school shootings. We've seen an increase in mass shootings, especially since the 50s and the 60s. But there are, you know, just as many guns, right? Just as many people have guns now as they did in the 50s and 60s. There are, in fact, probably more people that have guns now than they did then. However, as a percentage of population, many people in the 50s and 60s all had guns as well. Except now, it looks like mass shootings and killings of handguns are actually, you know, continuing to go up a good bit. Now, some of this data is going to be also extremely difficult to parse through, especially if you're looking at in the 80s and 90s, there was an incredible amount of gun violence, especially in large cities, which has slowly but surely actually started to go down a bit over the past couple of decades. But what is clear is that the, I, I from what I've, or at least how I view personally, you can't take away the guns in America. Not going to happen. If Biden walked in and said that he wanted to start banning guns and he wants to start taking guns away or having a gun buyback system, I legitimately think that there would be another secession. There would. There would be way too many people that'd be like, no, that is not what we established this country on. Okay. And there is a huge argument as well to be made that you want an armed citizenry to be able to protect themselves from a tyrannical government. That is why the Second Amendment was written, right? Hands down, the Second Amendment was there to protect the citizens from the government should they need to protect themselves, okay? However, does the, do the citizens need fully automatic guns? Do they need RPGs? Do they need tanks in order to do it? That's a tough call, right? Like, I mean, if you were going to fight off the entirety of the United States government and they have all that and you don't, you don't really stand a snowball chance in H double hockey sticks. Am I right? But you have to look at it from the perspective as well as we do not want for criminals to get their hands on guns. Okay. And if people, there are plenty of people that purchase weapons and then, you know, totally legally and then go and kill people afterwards. It's an unfortunate fact. However, it is my view and my personal opinion that People, if they are bad actors and they want to be able to get a gun, they're going to be able to get a gun, right? The black market is absolutely full of them. People want to go and buy a gun illegally, they're going to be able to do it. Refusing to allow good citizens to be able to carry and def carry the weapon and defend themselves is not the answer, right? It's not the way to go about doing it. If Biden wants to come through and ban, ass ban assault weapons, the only way I would ever be able to get on board with that is if he had an extremely stringent definition of what he says an assault weapon is, okay? Because an assault weapon is something that I think is a term that is loosely defined and tossed around a lot on the left. Much, Many of those people who have ne never held a gun before in their life or have never shot a gun have no, no formal, education, formal education on guns at all, right? So... I am very weary about Biden coming out and saying that he wants to increase gun regulation. I think that that's going to cost him actually a lot of points with the Democrats as well, um, because there are a lot of moderate Democrats that don't want any type any more gun regulation as well. So will all of this play out? I don't know. I don't think that Biden would be super popular if he started hammering in on gun rights very soon. But we'll have to see how all of that starts to play out. So with all of that, that is the end of our last story of the day. Thank you for sticking in there with me. Let's now hop on into our last segment, my, one of my favorite segments, something that made me smile. 
So something that made me smile this week, guys, I'm going to have to get sappy, is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day was actually a lot of fun. I was able to just hang out and enjoy some time with my wife, and she made filet mignon and crab cakes for dinner. So good. So good. So I got to enjoy that. We were able to have some fun, talk a little bit, and relax and spend some time together. And that, of course, is always necessary, always needed. Always enjoy some some time with her. So shout out to my beautiful wife, Carson. So with all of that, that's the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping in, for checking us out. Remember, guys, to find me on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference, YouTube at Split the Difference, and, of course, my website at SplitTheDifference.com with only one T. Go and check me out. Give me likes and subscribes. That stuff makes a huge difference. And also, be ready because we're launching and rolling out our second ever guest episode tomorrow. So you guys got to go and give a listen because it is going to be a great episode and I'm super excited to have uh, have that rolled out because I think you guys are going to love the conversation. As always, y'all, remember we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We're always going to be reasonable and, of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. <laughs>